Hello, everyone, and welcome to Conversations with Kate. I'm so glad you're with me tonight because you have the wonderful opportunity to meet my friend, Rabbi Bo Shapiro. Welcome, Bo. It's so great to be here, Kate. Thank you for having me. Um, nice to, to meet everyone. I suppose this this qualifies as meeting each other in this crazy COVID these days distance, <laughs> right? Yes, absolutely. It really, it really does. And um, I'm just so I, I feel so blessed not only to have the opportunity to um, to to lead a, a sort of a grand old church. But there you are, one of the amazing leaders of this grand old temple. I mean, how long has Wilshire Boulevard Temple been there? So Wilshire Boulevard Temple is the oldest Jewish anything um, in, in Southern California. Uh, we were founded in 1862, uh, which I like to say just to give people a frame of reference. Uh, it was in the midst of the Civil War and, and Lincoln yeah. was president. Um, our campus, just there in Koreatown, adjacent to you guys, uh, was built in 1929. I'm not sure exactly when when St. James was built, but right around the same time. So it was the Wilshire same Christian time, Emanuel Presbyterian. Years earlier. Right, yeah. all Wilshire Christian Emanuel Pres, all around the same time. Um, and we've been there since 1929. Yeah. Amazing, amazing, and um, it's it's a beautiful, beautiful building. And for those of you who are who are seeing this as a video. I'm going to ask Justin to put up a, an image right now of the of the exterior. It's it's just gorgeous. I mean, what can you tell me about about what we're seeing here? So it's kind of a, a unique architecturally. It's sort of this common combination of Moorish architecture, um, of, of Byzantine architecture, and also of sort of the uh, the theater, I would say, and the illusion of Hollywood. Mm. Um, rabbi mm. Edgar Magnin, who was the senior rabbi at the time and who who really was the um, the driving force behind building this campus, uh, traveled to, to Western Europe the summer before they began planning. And so it, it does in many ways. We hear a lot um, in our community when people who haven't been walk in, they say, oh, it feels so much like a church. Um, because mm -hmm. with rare exception, it's not typical for, for Jewish communities to build sort of these grand cathedrals. But this was modeled in many ways after these these great European churches. And also we were just talking about, you know, other churches, you guys um, being mm -hmm. built at the same time. Mm -hmm. This was also very much in the 20s, the Jewish community's way of saying, hey, we're here too. And we have our big grand yeah. cathedral on the big grand boulevard, just like you. The big grand boulevard. <laughs> That's right. It must have been the 1920s in Los Angeles must have been one big construction site because it seems like Hancock Park was built in the 1920s. All of our houses of worship were built in the 1920s. It must have been an explosion. I mean, I think it was an explosion of construction and, and rampant police corruption. Um, but uh, Edgar Magnin, who I just mentioned, was asked uh, at some point, I think in the 70s, why he didn't build the temple further west. And he sort of answered by saying, you don't understand, there was no further west. Western Avenue is called Western Avenue because it was the western edge of town. It was the out oh my gosh, that's incredible. I didn't know right? that. There's an Eastern Avenue too on the east side, but past yeah. Western was, you know, the sticks. Yes, yes. We're, we're going to double back in a little while to talk more about the building. I just wanted to show that, show that photo now just so that if there's anybody who doesn't know uh, what is Wilshire Boulevard Temple, it's that, that gorgeous building that you see when you go down Wilshire Boulevard. And But before we get to about all that. I want, I want to ask a few questions about you. I always ask my guests, um, are you a native angel now? And if not, where are you from? Uh, I guess technically I'm a native Angelino. I was born here. Um, we lived in the South Bay in Manhattan Beach till I was about 10 and then moved to the Jewish metropolis of Santa Barbara, um, where I you know, <laughs> grew up, I suppose, and, and went to uh, junior high and high school. Um, and then I moved back back here, did my undergraduate work at USC, um, studied Jewish studies and, and also went to film school, which is a whole story for another day. Um, okay. And then with the exception of uh, my first year in rabbinical school, my first year seminary in Jerusalem, um, have lived here and nowhere else ever since. Fascinating. No, you, you know, I am not a native Angelino. I've only been here a couple of years. So yep. when you say 
Jewish metropolis of Santa Barbara. Is that a real, is that a, is that a, no, a I'm series? Being, I'm being sarcastic. Um, oh, I'm being sarcastic in those who know. I mentioned, I mentioned Manhattan Beach also in, in the South Bay, which is, which is also not mm -hmm. known for being a huge Jewish community. It certainly was not. I remember being, and I think it was maybe second grade, and my mother really wanted me to, me to be friends with this kid who was kind of a bully who like lived, you know, like one village over in Hermosa Beach. Um, and I, mm -hmm. because he was Jewish and I should have a Jewish friend, you know. Oh so no, my goodness. I, and, and Santa Barbara was also, I was in high school with, you know, I don't know, a handful of Jewish kids and had to explain, you know, what every holiday was when I had to miss school or whatever. Um, and I remember hearing these stories about how, you know, back then it was just, I think, Beverly Hills School District. Now it's all of LAUSD that's closed on like major Jewish holidays. Um, not so much because of the students, but the faculty. And and so, uh, no, I was that was that was sarcastic. Well, that is okay. So, so I sorry I missed the joke, but now I get it. You know, it's fascinating to me that you are a rabbi, but you didn't grow up in an intensely Jewish setting where where your 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 world was steeped with all of the. Well, I mean, I don't know what it was like in your home, but your community anyway wasn't yeah. steeped in the tradition. Absolutely. Um, and, and our home, uh, I absolutely grew up in a Jewish home and a Jewish family. Um, but I would say I grew up in a family like 95% of the families at Wilson Boulevard Temple and most other non-Orthodox, um, certainly Reformed congregations, which is we knew we were Jewish. It was an important part of our lives, but it was not a major part of our lives. Um, and uh, I, I decided uh, that, that the world didn't need another entertainment attorney or entertainment agent um, kind of toward the end of my junior year in, in college, um, I had gotten more involved Jewishly in the Jewish community. I worked actually at Wilshire Boulevard Temple as a, as a music specialist, music teacher in, in Jewish summer camps and had sort of become aware that this was actually a vocation and something that was, was yeah. a viable um, career path. And I came home and told my parents that I wanted to go to rabbinical school. And I, I mean, they, I think they looked at each other and thought, like, where did we go wrong? Um, they're now blissful. They're now blissfully happy and very proud of me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, of course. But you know, they didn't the time, see it coming. I, they yeah. didn't see. They definitely didn't see it coming. And I don't mm -hmm. think they understood it. And I, I, I completely understand that. Um, so no, I absolutely did not grow up in. I would say a um, particularly observant or traditionally observant yeah. Um, family, yeah. which is not uncommon for at least for for reform. Um, and to a certain extent, conservative rabbis, I would say. And Wilshire Boulevard Temple is reform. Uh, that's a fair statement. We te we technically are no longer um, a, a member congregation of the reform movement. Um, so one could say that we're simply a liberal or progressive synagogue, religiously liberal or progressive, not necessarily politically. Politically, we're incredibly diverse, um, but. I think it's fair to say we're a reform synagogue. We use the reform movement's prayer book. Um, the style of our worship is very much, uh, I would say, in the center of the reform movement. And with two exceptions, I think I'm right, um, all of our clergy are, were ordained by the reform movement seminary. Mm -hmm. so, so there was this moment at some point uh, toward the end of college when you, when you, when when you realized hey that could be a that could be an actual job that could be a that could yeah. be the way that i contribute yeah. to the world right <laughs> and um and then you you did a year of seminary study in jerusalem what was that like was that now there you're steeped in everything right i mean yeah it was on the heels i never went to israel as a kid uh, my first trip to israel oh, wow. was was a birthright trip many may know about birthright it's a hugely funded oh, yeah. organization that provides, in essence, free 10-day trips to Israel for um, any anyone with one Jewish grandparent, basically. Uh, did, did you meet to, your wife? Did you meet your wife? I did not. I did not. Okay. I met my wife here. Um, but so I, so I, my first year in Israel um, in seminary was on the heels of two relatively short trips and a summer living there. Um, so I, I sort of knew the lay of the land by the time I moved there for a year. Um, 
it was a, a wonderful year in many ways. Uh, to be candid, it, it was a difficult year in many ways for me. I think that anyone who's ever lived in a faraway place um, realizes two things. Um, that there's a day you wake up at some point, it might be a month in, it might be six months in, where you look in the mirror in the morning, you think, oh, I live here. I'm not, you know, just visiting. And that's sort of, it's a different experience, right? Um, and I also think that uh, depending on where you, you are, uh, you come to appreciate many of the things about life in the States that you take for granted. There's a lot of things about life in Israel that are amazing. There's a lot of, quite frankly, sort of mundane and pedestrian things about life in Israel that are difficult and and over time, at least for me personally, sort of war on me. Most of them have probably gotten like better what? Now. Like what? Give give us an example. Like this is the, this is the stupidest example I can think of, but I think it's a good one. You know, I, I walk into the grocery store the first or second week that I'm living there, and I see a, a a bottle of French's yellow mustard, so I buy it. I lived there for 13 months. I never saw French's yellow mustard again at the grocery store. Mm. Again, a totally, in a way, Good insignificant thing. thing. It's, it's these little, <laughs> right. for me, it was these little things that I never thought about, about sort of the ease of life here. Um, yeah. And granted, there are a lot of people actually who, who make Aliyah, which is how we describe someone, a, a Jewish person who moves to Israel and emigrates there. And part of that tension or challenge or, or struggle even is what's appealing to them. That it, there's there's meaning in that, um, which I definitely um, can understand. Uh, it just I mm -hmm. think it, it wore on me after a while. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, so yeah. I think me, if you'd been moving place, there for your whole life, you would have yeah. made more peace with absolutely. the the, the mustard for me, it's situation. A, it's a deeply, <laughs> it's a deeply meaningful place. Um, mm -hmm. uh, for religious reasons, it's a deeply meaningful place because I got a lot of favorite restaurants and shops and neighborhoods mm. um and i love spending time there um but I, I don't know that i could see myself you know moving there permanently but it was an amazing experience right. and i think that one of the reasons that that's a part of the there's two reasons really i think that um that spending a year in israel is part of uh every really um every denomination's um seminary program uh is one to to help uh create a a fluency with hebrew with the hebrew language mm -hmm. and two is i think if nothing else for israel to forever be a place not just that you visited but that you've lived and that you have a relationship as i as i just made very clear mm -hmm. always a complex one because it's a complex place yeah um yeah with it uh and that you know it changes it and it changes it if you're leading a tour, it changes it if you're teaching about it or talking about it. Um, and I think that's, I think that's the point. It takes it out of the realm of fantasy, doesn't it? And, and makes it a real living, breathing yeah, place. Yeah, absolutely. And just under, I just coming to understand the nuance and complexity, which you look, you can do that on a 10 day trip. They try to teach you that on a birthright trip. Right. Um, and, but, um, Tom Friedman, the New York Times columnist, wrote a book uh, close to 30 years ago now, I think, called um, From Beirut to Jerusalem. And he's got a line in there that, that um, he says that anyone who, who thinks the shortest distance between two points is a straight line doesn't understand the Middle East. And it's very true about <laughs> Israel, right? There's, that's the whole thing. It's, it's, it's hard and it's beautiful and it's complicated. So, mm, mm, Absolutely. So then you came back here. Have you always... Um, served here in Los Angeles? As Not only have I always served here in Los Angeles, uh, I have always never worked Wilshire as a rabbi Boulevard anywhere other than Wolf Boulevard Temple. Um, this is my 11th, and then my 11th year um, as an ordained rabbi at the temple, but I am in, this is crazy, I'm in my 18th year um, at the temple. Uh, I don't usually talk about my age, but I'm 37 years old. I spent half my life um, at Wilshire Boulevard Temple. I started as a wow. sophomore in college, um, and with the exception of that year in Israel, um, although I think that, actually, I can't say that, because during that year in Israel, I think I ended up doing something with a group from the temple who was visiting Jerusalem, um, <laughs> and I was an intern at the temple, and I worked my way into a job that I never interviewed for, um, and I've never worked anywhere else, and I can't predict the future, but I can tell you that 
at this point in my career, I don't really have any ambition of ever going anywhere else. I think we're a pretty special place. Yeah. So say one or two reasons why for you, this is such a special place. I mean, I'm not talking um, about the promotional brochure. This yeah. is what's great about Wilshire Boulevard. No, 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 what, no. what is it that makes it sing for you? Um, I think two things really in this order. Um, first and foremost, uh, the people. And I mean that sort of on both sides of the equation. Uh, the people I work with, my colleagues, um, and there's been change in that over my tenure, but it doesn't change the fact that they're all remarkable people who I have tremendous respect for, who I feel respected by, who I collaborate with. Um, and one of the things that was appealing to me about the Rabinet in a place like Wilshire was the idea of having colleagues and not being all alone. Mm -hmm. um, and so I get to work with amazingly talented people and be inspired by them and pushed by them to be better. Um, men and women. And women men and women, yes. Too, yeah? Yes, yes. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, it's the people who are part of the temple. You know, we have about 2,500 families who are members of Wilshire Boulevard Temple. It's about eight or 9,000 people. And they're amazing people. They are people, and this kind of gets to something else I think you were going to ask about, Kate, but they are incredibly diverse. Um, you know, it's, we have captains of industries and CEOs, and we have teachers and, you know, cab drivers and Uber drivers and everybody in between. People of mm. probably mm. every ethnicity. Um, and they're all remarkable. And they all care a lot about the temple and being a part of the temple. And I get to meet them and I get to talk to them. I know we're going to get to I love the that. So that was, was something I was going to ask you because I had this image that that Wilshire Boulevard Temple is so glamorous and that everybody there is sort of a Hollywood yep. producer. But you're saying there's Uber drivers and teachers, too. Yeah, we you know, uh, to your point, we have, I think, this this image um, in L.A. And we have this image in the Jewish community, in part because of and I think we're going to get to this, too, in part because of, you know, the, the enormous amount of money we've spent and reinvested into the neighborhood and into redeveloping um, the block that our campus sits on. Um, that, you know, Wilshire Boulevard Temple is this old Hollywood synagogue and everybody is a member there's super rich. And if you're not super rich, you can't be a member there and, and, and all that. Nothing could be farther from the truth. Mm -hmm. um, of those 2,500 families, about a third of them uh, synagogues are organized a little differently than churches in that we have membership contributions, annual membership contributions, almost like dues that people pay. Yeah, sounds um, like a great idea. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a failing model, believe me. But um, a third of our members pay less than what, of, what our standard dues are. And that's everything from a dollar a year to one dollar less than what the standard dues are. To my knowledge, there is not another synagogue in the world that does that. There are really? other synagogues, to be fair, there are many synagogues, to be fair, that have dues relief and, and dues assistance. But that big a piece of the pie is, is frankly difficult to be financially, you know, um, stable. Right? It doesn't. It doesn't pencil out. We're lucky that we have some folks who are incredibly generous and are willing to pay significantly more than what a standard membership is so that we don't have to say no to anybody, but we won't turn, we don't turn anybody away. Anybody who wants to be a part of the temple family, they're welcome and we'll figure it out. Um, wow. So, 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 but I agree that that's sort of the, um, the sense, I, the question I get a lot sometimes, especially from people who aren't from LA is like, do you have a lot of movie stars and celebrities who are members of the temple? Yeah. I wanted um, to ask that The answer is not too. really. The answer uh -huh. is not really a couple. And some of that comes from, I mentioned him before, Edgar Magnin, who was the senior rabbi for like 70 years. And he was very much in that world. Um, the building was in large part funded and built by studio heads, by Lou B. Mayer. Oh, now, now by this Louis is Thalberg, a perfect. By Carl Emmer, yes. right? Right, right. Yeah, I'm the great, great um, figures of that and, time. And, and it's still the case, I would say, that we tend to lean, when it comes to the entertainment industry, toward the back of the house side, whether it's studio heads or producers or agents or managers, not so much to the talent in front of the camera, as it were, side of things. So I would love to take this opportunity to ask if Justin could put up some, some of the images of the inside, the sanctuary, because 
um, there's something very interesting and unusual about how it was how it was designed. Well, here's a gorgeous shot. Tell us what we're looking at here. So it's a little distorted just because I think it was like a this was taken with a I don't know what it's called, like a 180 degree lens or something like that. So this is a picture taken from the back of the balcony. So the, the synagogue is, is oriented just like all the churches on the street. There's 25 foot tall teak wood doors that open onto Wilshire Boulevard. You walk into the back. This is from the top of the balcony looking north, as it were, right? Your back's to Wilshire Boulevard. Uh, and what you see here in the foreground at the bottom is, um, is on the bottom level is, is the pulpit um, with our, our organ grate, our organ above it, um, chandeliers hanging. And then these octagonal coffers you see is the mm. interior of the dome that you see uh, if you're walking or driving down the street. Ah. Um, and those coffers, as you can see, get smaller as they move up. So the result is that when you're standing in the room, it's about a 10, 11 stories tall. But it looks like it's about 20 stories tall because an optical illusion is created by the diminishment in size of, of those coffers. And then that the is top, a Hollywood, right? Right. Isn't that like a Hollywood the, sort of these almost guys, you know, like these a guys and this kind of gets the murals. These guys built movie sets mm -hmm. and this was their business, right? So there's a lot of sort of almost optical illusion type things. What is um, the blue, what is the blue circular section? Great. So that's an Oculus. I kid you not, just like the Pantheon, because I mentioned that, you know, Rabbi Magnin traveled to Europe the summer before, meant to be like the Pantheon. So that's an Oculus that is actually open. Um, and what you're looking at that's blue is the, the, the dome you see if you're walking down the street is an exterior copper dome. This octagonal coffer dome is actually suspended from that exterior dome. And there's a little bit of interstitial space between them. So what you're looking at through that open oculus is the interior of the exterior dome with some blue light washed on it. Mm. And then around that oculus um, are Hebrew letters that you can't quite make out in this picture, but they're Hebrew letters. Um, and they are the, the letters and the words of um, what is sometimes referred to as the watchword of the Jewish faith. Um, the words of, of an imperative called the Shema, um, which is basically our, our statement of monotheism, that there is... Um, one God. And if Justin, if you could turn to the next next uh, image, what's exciting about this is I, I, you you taught me when I visited the temple one time that it's very unusual to see depictions of human figures in a Jewish temple, right? right? Absolutely. And why is that? So let's actually, Justin, Justin, let's actually go back just to the big room for just a second, and I'll point out to people if you look. Uh, I don't have a cursor, but if you look. Um, on the left and right side, there's some arches and, and, and blue um, stained glass windows. Above those, you'll see kind of um, some murals. In the center, above the organ and the pulpit, you'll see some murals. And then down, very close to the bottom, wrapped around the room, you'll also see some murals. So I know we have some individual shots, but yeah. the, the room has uh, many, many murals in it. Um, they were uh, painted and designed by Hugo Balin uh, in the 20s. He was the art director at Warner Brothers. Um, he also did the murals for those who've been in the Griffith, Griffith Observatory and mm. what's now the old LA Times building downtown that I think they either just did or are about to demolish, unfortunately. Um, mm. And they, uh, they tell basically the story of Jewish history. Um, so it's, it's meant to be sort of this visual depiction around the room of seminal events um, in, in Jewish history. So now uh, we can and, just, uh, we can look at a few of yeah, them. Yeah, we can go through. Um, but yeah, Kate, as you said, it's incredibly unusual to find um, uh, any human iconography in Jewish prayer space. It is something that for many who come to visit, many Jews who come to visit, is incredibly jarring um, mm. when they see for the first time. Um, and the reason that you, you almost never see it is because it's considered and was considered to be a violation of the second commandment, right, against idolatry and graven images. Um and I think there's sort of two ways to think about it. On the one hand, I think some might say, well, you know, these kind of bourgeois uppity assimilating, you know, Jews in the 20s kind of just thumb their nose at the second commandment, if they even knew what it was to begin with, right? Here's Moses. This is Moses receiving the Ten <laughs> Commandments, right? Mount Sinai, mm -hmm. right? That um, I, I think it's more, look, these guys made movies, right? We just talked about all the studio heads that, that were a part of this. Mm -hmm. I think in today's terms, I think they realized 
that some of us are visual learners, right? Mm. And that the text, much less the Hebrew text, might not be a connecting point for everyone and that, that imagery might be. Um, you know, I've yet in my time to see anybody, you know, huddled in the corner worshiping the mural. Um, just just my <laughs> own, own experience. But they are so, very, they uh, are very filmic, aren't they? I mean, yeah, they, they have, definitely. they have that sort of um, um, elegant Hollywood style to them. Like an epic, yeah, like absolutely. a biblical epic. Yeah. Absolutely. No, it's, it's um, but it's so beautiful and they go all the way around the room don't they they go all the way around um we actually have a um uh, as a part of the redevelopment and the restoration of the murals um we, we we had a curriculum developed that actually uses the murals to teach some of these stories in in jewish history and, oh. and kind of the broader stories too but it's yeah it's a it's beautiful yeah and when i visited i i i i got to take with me a just a a a beautiful booklet, booklet yeah. about them. Mm -hmm. So, so great. We're very proud of our stained glass windows in, in the same sort of a way that it's a, yeah. um, uh, they were, we didn't have the stained glass windows in the twenties. I think they, they were, they were sort of created over time, section by section, but, um, mm -hmm. but it's that mm -hmm. same kind of thing and we don't worship them either. <laughs> Um, so, um, there's one more architectural thing that I'm dying to talk to you about. And that is anybody who's been going up and down Wilshire Boulevard oh, since about 2018, right? I think that's when the construction uh, began. That, what is it now? Yeah, I think that's right. I think it was. Yeah, they would see all this. 2018. This gorgeous thing. Tell us about it. What are we looking at? Uh, so we're looking at uh, a building called the Audrey Ermis Pavilion that um, finally these, we've had these renderings for a couple of years. Um, people might have seen them in the LA Times and the, and the Wall Street Journal. Um, the, uh, the, we're, there's now a building there for those who've been by that actually resembles this rendering, which for those of us who've been at this a while is incredibly exciting. Um, and we are more or less on schedule to open as planned in the first quarter of, of this year, although... The primary focus of this building is a uh, banquet and event space, which, uh, you know, um, we're not going to be having as soon as we would like, but we will at some point. Um, and so the the short version of it is two things. And I'm not sure about St. James. And maybe they just didn't have like big parties in the 20s. But we're just speaking about the sanctuary. They built a sanctuary that holds 1,800 people in 1929. And the biggest room they built that you could have like a party or lunch, a dinner, whatever in seats about 180. Oh my goodness. So it, that's, right? it's so possible. I, right. Yeah. It, right. So I don't know, but I, right. So on the one hand, we sort of felt like that was something we wanted to address, right. To be able to have um, a good space. Um, so the ground floor of this building is a spectacular um, grand ballroom that unlike mm. I think most, you know, big hotel ballrooms in town actually has windows. So you'll have a sense of place and know where you are mm. and know that you're in LA mm. as opposed to, you know, in a ballroom at some hotel where you could be anywhere in the country. Right. Uh, um, the second floor, the, uh, then on, on the subsequent floors, there's meeting space, conference space, um, and then um, a rooftop, beautiful, spectacular rooftop mm. garden and amphitheater. Mm. Um and, and the thinking here was kind of twofold. Obviously, yes, you know, some of this was to serve utilities that we have as a community internally. Yeah, yeah. But also about, you know, what does the city need and what's good for mm. the city? Um, and, and one was that, you know, think about it. Koreatown's a really dense neighborhood. There's not a ballroom between downtown and Beverly Hills. You know, I guess you could have a party at the Wilshire Ebel, but that's about it. Right. Yeah. And so yeah, you certainly could, the, but yeah. Right. We felt like, okay, there's a, there's a need for this. And two, you know, LA is finally, I think coming around in the last decade or so, and even more in the last five years with trying to kind of step up its, its architecture and have significant mm -hmm. buildings. You know, I think Disney concert hall was really the first big step. And mm. now there's the bro museum downtown and LACMA's got their big project. And, mm -hmm. and that was a piece of this too. We had an architectural selection competition um, the architect is uh, a guy named Rem Coolhouse. 
from the Netherlands, um, incredibly famous architect for those who know about architecture. Um, the, his most significant building on the West Coast is the, the Seattle Public Library for any, anyone who's been there, which is a beautiful building. Um, and this was a big deal. And, and also the sense that we had, which was, you know, why shouldn't a house of worship also get to have an architecturally significant building? You know, in 1929, they thought really big when building the sanctuary, which is, has a certain yes. audacity in its architecture. And, yeah. and the sense here was to build something not that kind of was just benign in keeping with the style of the block, but that was also bold, sort of the pyramid mm -hmm. next to the Louvre kind of thing. Yes, yes, um, yes. Right? Yeah. And, all right, and so I just want to ask why, Yes. Uh, speaking of the pyramid next to the Louvre, right? Yes. Why is it slanted like this? Yes. Is there a particular um, so design it's, it's reason? It's slanting away from the sanctuary in deference. Oh, seriously? And it actually Beautiful. also slants, so that's east. It also slants south over Wilshire Boulevard a bit as well. So the whole thing is sort of askew. Um, and yes. just the last piece I'll mention about it, um, as I said, this is, you know, it's for us, but also for the community. Um, one of the things we're incredibly excited about um, the Wallace Annenberg Foundation came to us, I don't know, a year or two ago. Um, and one of the things that um, Ms. Annenberg is, is really passionate about these days is, is Wait, creating this is about aging. Aging. Correct. Exactly. Right? Yes. About creating meaningful programming and opportunities for, for, um, for older folks and, and for those who are aging um, and, and programming that is really dedicated to them. Uh, and so their foundation and their institute are, is going to be in essence, running programming on the, I forget if it's the third or fourth floor, um, you know, pretty much full time for folks in the neighborhood, for folks in Beautiful. LA, for folks. You now know, are people everybody. up there going to have to stand like this? <laughs> no, inside the building, you don't sense anything. That's all. I inside, know. It feels like it's a so, and also love the window there too. It's, I, I cannot wait to see it. I really can't. I was on a tour not that long ago, and it actually on the inside starting to actually look like the building, which is just so exciting. Now, are people so um, other than the Jewish community going to be allowed to use it as well? Absolutely. Korean weddings, anybody. Yes. This good. is this is this All is right. a building for Los Angeles. You know, oh we hope goodness. we're hoping That's that great. in twenty when is it twenty twenty four. When the Olympics are here, that there'll be opportunities for. Absolutely, Absolutely. we just great. We just hired. Um, I'm forgetting her ex official title now, but we just hired um, a staff person whose entire job it is to run this building um, and 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 to, and to and to make it a place um, where folks from all over the city, from all walks of life, um, come to celebrate. We want this to be a gathering place. Now, did you? You are a really great parking structure behind um, the temple. Did you have to add parking or do you feel like you have sufficient parking? We did not add parking. The parking structure was built. We met, we did master planning for the block. So the parking structure was built anticipating um, a banquet facility um, on this part. Wonderful. Of and that's such a beautiful rarity too, to, to have um, parking on site. Yes. I mean, that's the other thing, right? You can have a beautiful, you know, gala here around tables for five or 600 people with plenty of parking. Where can you do that in LA? You know, we're not waiting for the valet no. for an hour. Yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm green with envy, but also so happy for you because it's, and for everybody, cause we'll, we'll all be able to enjoy it. So I could, I could conduct a, a very large wedding at St. James, but there wouldn't be space on our campus exactly. for and a large down reception. The street for a beautiful reception walk down this i know imagine it's and, it, and talk about a uh, a nice interfaith experience you know going exactly. from one right. you know one house of worship yep. to another like that exactly. um or i could take the red line someone says in the chat and somebody else wrote in the chat if he wrote full caps Wow. <laughs> i think if you took the red this line you would have to walk to the same station that you would get off at because our closest yeah, station coming close. from you is Western. So it, it's yeah. too close to take the red line. I the think it's would, not I in the picture. My favorite part of the building is is the roof. It's this incredibly beautiful landscape rooftop, rooftop garden mm. that 
you know, I can't wait to have, I mean, I'm already thinking about my daughter's bat mitzvah, which is like 10 years. From I know. I was about to say you know, her cocktails on the roof, them. dinner downstairs. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. Such good. So, so great. It's so good for the city. Now, speaking of good for the city, how's that a perfect segue? There's another thing that you do. You don't just think about architecture and worship services. Um, but, oh, sorry, I have to push pause. Um, one of my parishioners, Comfort, wants to know, what's the capacity of the ballroom? Ooh, great question. Uh, I don't know the exact number, but it's somewhere in the five to 600 range, seated around round tables and closer to a thousand if you wanted to do like a seminar. You know, we're, we're most likely gonna use it as an auxiliary space for some of our high holiday services, you know, conferences, things like that, right? We could, have, we could have a large conference there with a big lecture and then there's breakout rooms and conference rooms on the second floor, right? Yes. So. We could do an interfaith conference. <laughs> I'm gonna hold you to um, that. Okay. I know, no, no, no. Well, I know you used to be the leader of the, uh, the interfaith uh, organization here in this part of the city, didn't you? I, I was for a short time um, involved in and was the president of the, uh, we changed the name a few times, but the Wilshire Center Interfaith Council, which which for, I think, unfortunate reasons, which maybe we should try to resurrect, um, sort of fell away as I think more, slightly more citywide and regional efforts kind of picked up. Mm. Um, Sometimes think, it's know, good to have a more local effort, though, because you can actually get projects done. Absolutely. But anyway, uh, speaking of what's good for, for people in the neighborhood, you also uh, are responsible for the Karsh Center, which is also part of the Wilshire Boulevard Temple Complex. Tell us a little bit about, about the Karsh Center. I know that there's a, there's a food pantry and uh, some medical support. Um, so the short version, I, I talked a minute ago about how, you know, we underwent a master planning process. We, we've been redeveloping this block and really thinking hard about it for well over a decade. Um, and, and frankly, spending a lot of money to do it um, between the sanctuary restoration, the building you just saw, the parking structure, school, renovating school yeah. buildings. But from the very beginning, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. it was incredibly important to us that, that what we were doing um, resulted in us being a part of the community, not a part from it, right? To, to really try to weave ourselves into the neighborhood and to also invest not just financially, but in very real tangible ways into um, this incredibly diverse, I mean, you guys know just as well, right? Most diverse neighborhood in America outside of Brooklyn. Mm. Um, yes, we've yes. Run, right, just like you guys. Wait, are you just saying, are you just declaring that or is that a fact? That is a fact. Uh -huh. 44 languages are spoken within one mile of us. Wow. It is the most council, council district 10 is the most diverse council district in America outside of Brooklyn. Um, I love that. I'm sure somebody's going to fact check me and maybe it's changed in, re in this recent census, but it was the it'll, case it'll when show I up in the, it. It'll show up in the um, chat. <laughs> so just like you guys, right, we've run a food pantry for now 32 years, um, right, with HopeNet, just like you guys. Um, mm -hmm. Yours is, I think, Thursday mornings, right, still? Mm -hmm. It was, right? Yes, um, yes. So we, we were always, just for what it's worth in terms of history, you know, we started at the same time with you guys, with you guys, and we took Sundays because that was a day that, you know, our Christian brothers and sisters in the neighborhood, it's a faith day, and it didn't work for them. And we thought, hey, we can take Sunday so people don't have to go hungry. So we've been running, we were running that, you know, just like you, just like many of our other HopeNet pantries in the neighborhood every Sunday. And as a part of this redevelopment, we thought we really want a better dedicated facility for that program. We want cold storage so we can give out fresh foods and all these things. And then we thought, you know, for better or worse, these 250 families or so who we've trained to come here and see the temple as a place where they can have one of their needs, their hunger met, surely they have other needs, you know? And what could it look like if we were um, ambitious, but not foolish, and tried mm -hmm. to address some of their other needs? And we started mm -hmm. thinking about these models like PATH, people assisting the homeless, you know, two or three decades ago, and Magnolia um, Community Initiative and Children's Bureau, these models of co-locating and ideally integrating multiple different social services and different providers in one place, sort of like a mall, PATH called There's the Mall, PATH Mall. Mm -hmm. Because that's why people go shop at the mall, right? You can park your car one mm -hmm. place and get 10 things done. Mm -hmm. And if you're, if you're in the social service space looking for 
to be served by a case manager, by a pro bono attorney, by a you know um, low cost dental clinic, what, what have you, and to get some food, and you're taking public transit, and you had to take a day off work to do it, it's impossible. Yeah. So we started to figure out, you know, who are the social service providers that are doing great mm -hmm. work that we need in this neighborhood? Um, and how can we make it easier for them to, to offer those services? And, and can we get them to do it here? Um, and that has resulted now, we've been open about four years, excuse me. Um, we have 29, I believe it is at last count, collaborating organizations who different days, different times, I'm speaking more in a non-COVID world, but I'll talk about COVID in a second, mm. um, come into our space and provide services to clients, anyone who walks in the door. Mm -hmm. Everything from our food pantry, as well as we have a mobile food pantry program. Um, we have a three operatory dental clinic. Um, we have a vision clinic that does eye exams and glasses. Um, we have a very wide ranging pro bono legal service program. Um, we have bankruptcy clinics. We have ESL and citizenship classes. We have mental health services. We have childcare mm. referrals. We have literacy programs. Um, we have healthy eating parenting classes. Um, we give out tons and tons of diapers. Um, mm -hmm. and the goal, right, is also to have someone, a client come in and have two experiences. One, to see a warm face because mm -hmm. this entire enterprise, while there are, while we do have a dedicated staff and our collaborators all have staff, um, a big piece of this is to, um, provide meaningful opportunities for folks to volunteer and to use their time and talent to make other people's lives better. Um, yes, from the Temple community, but not only or exclusively from the Temple community. Mm -hmm. We've had volunteers from St. James over the years. Mm -hmm. um, and um, and that's kind of how, that's kind of the gas that makes the thing go is really the volunteer power. Mm. And so a client mm. comes in the door and they have a volunteer who greets them. And again, pre-COVID, but comes out from behind the counter mm. and sits with them and does an intake, has a conversation with them and figures oh, out. Oh, and a nurse. You have a nurse too, don't you? We have a nurse too on Sundays at our pantry, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. who comes and says, look, okay, you came in to, you know, get your teeth cleaned. Um, oh, did you realize that you're having a tenant's rights issue and we have an attorney who can help you here? Or, you know, you can get food while you're here too. Or did you know that, you know, your sister-in-law who's studying for a citizenship exam could come have an ESL class on Wednesday nights? They could help with that, right? To try to link mm -hmm. people to other services that they didn't even know they needed mm. or that they could get. Mm. Um and you know we walk we we see anybody that walks in the front door since covid we've we pivoted yes. a lot yeah um mm -hmm. you know we we stayed open the entire time i'm very proud of that we we helped many of our collaborators move the services that that they could online but as we know there's a big digital divide and and a lot of the folks needing services it's really hard for them to have access to the technology so what we've now moved to in some spaces is they can come go sit in our legal suite and talk to an attorney, but the attorney's in his office on Zoom, but we have a computer uh, for them. Oh, right? that's wonderful. We're doing wonderful. the same thing with, with therapy. Um, but so we really doubled down. That's a great idea. Last March. Mm -hmm. we, we really doubled down on food and diapers. You know, we thought, I mean, with the, with the run of the grocery store and not being able, uh, most of us to get the groceries we wanted, I mean, all the more so, clients who can't just run to Ralph's and can't pop it up on Instacart mm -hmm. or whatever, right? Because what we saw, and we have seen throughout the pandemic, a um, six, sorry, a fourfold, 400% increase in the demand for food and a 600% increase in the demand for diapers. Um, and so we said, look, that's what we're gonna make happen mm -hmm. for folks. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So to date, these numbers might be a little old, to date, Think we're just over 150,000 meals, um, and just over 120,000 diapers. Wait, um, meals? I thought you. I didn't know you did meals. I thought you did groceries. We do. We do a grocery bag. It, we calculate it in terms of how many meals the bag serves. Oh, got it, got it, got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, I visited the and and it's um the 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 sort of dental area and all of the 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 kitchens. I mean, everything is just state of the art, beautiful. And um, I'm so impressed that you, that you all had the vision to create something like that, that one-stop shopping idea. You know, for us, and I think, and you know this well, Kate, and maybe others do too, that 
the entire social service space was birthed by faith communities. Mm -hmm. And somewhere along the way, I think in many places, not all, that, that tie got severed, right? There's still Catholic charities. There's still many faith-based social service organizations. Um, but I see this as a returning to our roots and, and very much for Jews as a returning to what we um, believe matters um, for so many reasons, but not the least of which was there is not a Jew alive in America who has to go back more than two or maybe three generations to find their ancestors standing in food lines, needing social service, you know, because they were immigrants too. You know, now at our, I know your pantry is similar. Now it's, you know, a lot of elderly Asian Pacific American Islanders folks, um, you know, lined up at our pantry on Sunday morning. But I had a volunteer say to me once, like, I look out at that line and that was my bubby. That was my grandma, you know, on the lower that east side is, of New York. What a stunning observation. What a stunning. And also, isn't it one of the pillars of, of uh, is this a pillar of Judaism or a pillar of Wilshire? Boulevard Temple's Both. Both. ethos. Both. That to, Both. It is, to it do is deeply, service. deeply embedded in in what it is to be a Jew and what it is, you know, to, to be a um a good citizen. And and for no ulterior motive. Um, because that's not how we're wired, because we believe it's what's right and it's what's just. Um yeah. and we see it as something that um frankly we're obligated to do. That it's actually not yeah. volitional, that it's in our, our, our obligation to take care of folks. We need it. Yeah. So, um, so the homelessness crisis is a sort of mm -hmm. a, a a different a different slice of this. Um, what are your thoughts on on what we can be doing as faith commun communities there? You know, I think um, it's it's a timely question because uh, I, I walk around the neighborhood and drive around the neighborhood like like all of us. And it's, it's very funny. I said the car center has been open four years and probably for the first year, maybe even more, people asked me, you know, do we get many homeless clients? What is What are services we provide for homeless clients? And I basically could say to them with a straight face, despite the homeless crisis in Los Angeles, it, what, there was, it wasn't a significant crisis in Koreatown. There was the guy who sleeps at the dentist office on Serrano and 6th, you know, but that was pretty much it. And then it was months. It was one or two tents on Harvard between us and St. Basil's, right? And, and now it's everywhere, right? There's an encampment juxtaposed with our parking structure entrance on, on Hobart. Um, what we've seen has been an interesting progression, I think, which is that at first, and I'm told by those who know far more than I, that um, uh, connecting folks who are the unhoused from, to social services is, is a challenge. There's a reticence to, to seek them, um, and, and we saw that in the very beginning, you know, we had volunteers walk over to the folks who were living in front of Basil's in the parkway and say, you know, 250 feet over here around the corner, you can come and get food and, and, and we can have, we have lots of services. We can probably help nothing. Right. Um, that has changed. We now have homeless folks who come in looking for services. Um, we went from one or two homeless folks, um, in line on Sunday mornings for, for food to, you know, a significant number, which saddens me because it shows that the need is there, but also in a strange way, I think makes me happy that at least they're walking through the door and we're able to help. Yes. And, um, you know, we have a couple of questions in the chat about this. And uh, uh, one is, can you say more about how you're engaged with mental health and substance abuse issues for our unhoused neighbors? Because those are issues that present, right? When you're- Great, great, great question. Um, I, I don't want to misspeak. I, 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 don't, I don't know, I don't believe that we are providing um, mental health services to our unhoused folks at this time. Um, our two, for the most part, two mental health collaborators are the Southern California Counseling Center which has been around for close to 60 years. Um, their, their main facility is south of us, sort of Pico and Normandy-ish, I think. Um, and under normal times, they provide basic one-to-one, -one, you know, trauma-informed therapy services on our site. Um, not to say that someone who's unhoused couldn't make use of those services, 
but that's probably not the place that they're they're going to start. Um, you know, uh, the other is um, grief support services through an organization called Our House. Um, they actually we have their their first ever Spanish language grief group, um, and we have uh, grief groups through Our House. Um, so we're not doing substance abuse. We're not doing those issues, not because we don't think they're really important and don't matter. Um, some of it is balancing the fact that, remember, we have many other services going on in the space, often at the same time. And um, so it doesn't necessarily make it a facility that is um, most suited to have folks who have really serious mental health issues on site because that can compromise some of the other services and, and other clients' experience. Mm. Yeah, to I can imagine. You know, um, Margaret Ecker, she's in the uh, in the chat, and she's also saying she bets that we share neighbors um, from this demographic, um, and as well as the same deep concern about how best to be present for them, given some of those um, those constraints. Margaret and I have often talked about how it seems to us that so what our unhoused friends would appreciate the most would be a place to be um, a place to spend some hours of the day where um, where they could just relax but I understand that it, it, it's not necessarily bumping up to the to the dental chair and the ophthalmologist and the million other meetings but but we you know and for us, a challenge is we have a school, as as do you, you know, and so we also have, there's lots of um, things yeah. to think about there. But, um, but, but we're really, we're really yearning for a way to be, to be able to be present for that particular demographic for more hours than the distributions. I, I think, you know, you know, Kate, I think it's such a, it's such a good point. And I think it's, it's, it's hard, I think, because we have schools too. And as you know, because you've been there for many reasons, um, um, good and bad, we, we, have, we have to take security incredibly seriously. Um, it was a big conversation when we built the car center, right? On the rest of our block, you know, we operate under the assumption that is, unless you have a reason to be here, you can't be here. And then we create cars, which is the opposite. Mm -hmm. And our director of safety and security and I spent hours trying to figure out how can we you know remain safe and let anybody walk in the front door because we want to help them yeah right and we don't always get it right that's the first thing i'll say and some of it is kind of utilitarianism right trying to mm -hmm. how can we do the most good for the most number of people and absolutely the same as you with our schools and little kids that also creates mm -hmm. a whole other issue with you know their mm -hmm. parents and and they're trusting us with their kids and so i, I often I'm reminded of a, something that our senior rabbi, rabbi leader says a lot um, about just sort of life, but particularly the temple, which is that we can do anything. We just can't do everything. Right? We <laughs> I can like do anything. That. We just can't do everything. And certainly not all at once. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and that's, you know, really hard. There's a um, kind of a rabbinic proverb that you you don't have to complete the work. Um, you just also can't sit on your hands and, and kind of detest from it. Yeah. And I, I kind of remind myself of that on the days when I feel like, ugh, like we're not doing enough. We should be doing more. I know we're doing a lot, but we should be doing more. This guy's sleeping yeah. here. Can't he just sleep in the parking structure tonight? You know, it's raining or whatever it is. Um, yes. and, and I, yeah. yeah. Well, I do think there's so much promise in interfaith work though. And in, 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 um, in, in, in divvying up the different things that we do too, you know? Absolutely. Um, and also look, it's something that we were very conscious about in, in putting together the pieces of the services that our collaborators offer at Karsh, which was to say, we don't want to duplicate something that's happening across the street, right? Our dental, and in the very beginning, I thought we were going to do like basic medical care. And then I discovered that the care clinic, federally qualified healthcare clinic is catty corner from us. So why on earth would we do that? Guess what? Turns out care didn't offer dental and didn't often offer vision services because they didn't have the space to do it. Right. So there, Aaron Pack and I figured out, I said, look, Aaron, what if you offer dental and vision on our facility? 
and we were able to complement, right? So I agree to your that point. That makes interface. so we, much We should sense. all be sort oh, of figuring yeah. out what can we do so that we're not yeah. all doing the same thing and we can help as many people. And to that point, um, uh, Margaret is saying in the chat, Rabbi Shapiro, while acknowledging that Saturday is a day of worship for you, please know that you would be warmly welcome to come by to witness our Saturday showers event at St. James. I would love to. Nine to twelve on Saturdays. We're very, we're very excited about it. It's um, it's I remember showers, us talking about it when you were just getting it going. Yeah, it's showers. It's breakfast. It's clothing, um, and most of all, it's it's uh, community. You know, e even now, even now with masks and social distancing, it's still it's that. I think it, it, some people, Margaret tells the story that it, it, the showers are from nine until 12 and some people come at nine and say, oh, I'll take the last shower because then there's more time to hang out and eat bagels and, and, um, and just be someplace um, where you're feeling loved, right? Which is what you everybody know, wants. It reminds to feel. me, because I was, I neglected to mention this um, as a part of our food pantry programs, not in the neighborhood, but we also um, run a food pantry in Santa Monica, speaking of places where there's a big homeless issue. We run a food pantry, uh, Karsh does, in, in Santa Monica uh, with a collaborator called The People Concern, um, mm -hmm. used to be called OPCC. Um, and uh, there it's, in essence, an exclusively homeless population we're serving of about 250 folks every Sunday. Um, and they have a shower facility there and that's one of the things folks come in for. And I was reminded of it because it's the same thing. They come in, they take a shower, they sit, they lounge, they wait for their lunch, they have their cup of coffee, they're sitting on the patio, they're, it's like, you know, a bunch of guys playing shuffleboard. It's fabulous. That's, yes. that's, I mean, and, and, you know, it's interesting, isn't it, that, that, that the dream, I feel like a, a dream that I'm hearing from you when we were talking about the pavilion before was just that sense of, of community, you know, what it feels like when, when, when community. And so this is another community that we're, that we're um, nurturing and, and, um, and it's just a, it's a community that's so beleaguered. Yeah. Well, in so I many ways. To that point of community, I, one of the things for me that this whole pandemic has, I don't know if it's taught me or just reminded me, which is that how really connected we all are mm -hmm. um, and how much, whether we like it or not, we do need each other and we need each other to wear masks and we need each other to get vaccinated and we need each other to social distance because no one of us and frankly, no one community is going to pull us out of this, you know, situation in which we find ourselves. Yeah. Um, so we do have a, a basic responsibility to one another. And I think we feel it in our individual houses of worship, you know, this sense of community. It's so like I, we were talking before the uh, before the the hour started about, you know, seeing people on Zoom and how precious they seem now, you know. Um, and and then across across religious traditions, across those 44 languages and I mean, Aren't we incredibly lucky to be in this place of all the places Absolutely. in the world that we could be? Absolutely. And yeah, frankly, I mean, we're in this neighborhood. We're at the, that's what I mean. In this yeah, this neighborhood. Yes. You know, um, because we didn't build, we have, we have another campus in West LA, um, soon to be two more campuses in West LA. We're in the um, process of a merger with another synagogue on the West side. Um, but the, we, we couldn't have built the car center on the west side where our campus is because the clients wouldn't be, it, it wouldn't have had as much impact, right? So mm. part of being in this amazing neighborhood um, is the opportunity to really, um, you know, make a difference. That's so true. And look at you making a difference. This, the way that you've devoted your whole life to this, to that block. <laughs> you guys too. It's not when yeah. we're all look, we're all doing amazing things. Um, yeah. And uh, you were good enough to be a guest on my uh, kind of podcast show um, mm -hmm. earlier in the beginning of all this. Um, and right, it seems like de years ago. 
And then you um, preached, and then you preached for our school children at All School Chapel for that was Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur wasn't it? Or I don't Rosh know. It feels like it was about a decade ago, but yes, I, I think, think it was, was Yom Kippur. I think it was. <laughs> I think it was too. Yeah, yeah. So more good things to come. But in for tonight, I just want to say thank you for for being with us and um, taking the time away from your adorable four year old. In the uh, next four room, four and a half year old and seven month old, and seven month old in the next room. And thank you for all that you do. And everyone, good night and blessings, and stay safe. Good night, everybody. Bye.